Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Today we're speaking to Paul Levy. He is a creative artist, a pioneer in the field of spiritual emergence, and a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner for close to 40 years. He's a founder of the Awaken in the Dream community and the author of several books, including Undreaming Witiko and Dispelling Witiko. And Witiko, the book Witiko. We're going to talk today about Undreaming Witiko. So welcome to the show, Paul. I'm really glad to have you on. I've been fascinated by the subject for quite a while. So yeah, I, I'm so Wotiko? happy. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so, Thank you. Yeah, sure. Well, what is Watiko? It's an indigenous term, a Native American term, and it really connotes this mind virus. And it um it's really the source of all of the evil that's playing out in our world on every scale, both individually and collectively. And um you know, and when people hear about a mind virus and they think, oh, that just sounds all new age and woo and crazy, in essence, what I'm pointing at, and not just me, but, you know, every spiritual tradition has been, you know, from time immemorial has been pointing at this thing, this mind virus, and um, that's at the root of all of the madness and all of the evil we're playing out as a species. In essence, what is meant is that the origin and um, the solution of the collective madness is to be found within the human psyche. And that's a no-brainer. How could it be otherwise? You know, the source of the madness mm -hmm. is found somewhere else. It's found in our own mind. And, and that's both the good news and the bad news in that, you know, there is no one else who's doing that to us. We actually are participating in reinforcing our own madness to the extent we're asleep to it. Because what Tico, you know, you, like I'm saying, you can think about it like a virus of the mind, but it operates through the blind spots of the psyche, through the unconscious. And what I'm saying, this is, that, this is not anything new. I'm just translating what's been said by so many philosophers and, and thinkers and creative artists and spiritual traditions and awakened people. They're all pointing at it in their own language. And and I'm just basically saying, yeah, it's, you know, with what's playing out in the world, like I joke with my friends that if I had a publicity department, they couldn't do a better job publicizing my work on the mind virus than what's playing out in the world. This is a manifestation of the mind virus, the origin of the evil and the madness, whether it's with COVID, with Ukraine, whatever, mm -hmm. is to be found within the human psyche. And and I'm like, you see, the thing about Watiko, it actually... If people hear about this mind virus and feel afraid, no, 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 that's not that's not the right response because there is no mind virus. It doesn't even exist. It has no independent existence whatsoever separate from our mind, and yet it can kill us. See, that's the paradox because it's an expression of our own unconscious creative power that to the extent any of us are not in touch with our creativity, it gets turned against us in a way that's killing us. And that's, in essence, you know, what, what Tico is really pointing at. And it works, like I'm saying, through the blind spots, through the unconscious, through the projective tendencies of our mind. 
and we become entranced. We literally hypnotize ourselves. That's what Tico. And, and I'm just, I'm basically saying to the extent we don't see it, it has power over us and it's going to kill us guaranteed as is evidenced by what's happening in the world today. We're enacting collective suicide, but if we actually have the recognition that it's a revelation, that it's actually literally showing us something about our own nature and about our own creative agency, then all of a sudden we start to plug into its benefits, to its gifts, and we become more these lucid, empowered dreamers that are literally creating our experience of ourselves moment by moment. That's what this is about. So it's a quantum phenomenon, what you go. It contains in a superposition of states, both the deepest evil and the most sublime blessing and how it's going to manifest, either going to kill us or awaken us. It depends on us. It depends if we recognize what it's revealing to us. And if we don't recognize it, then we're doomed and fated to destroy ourselves. So is it then like the, the evil in us versus the good in us? Well, and the evil being hiding any other parts that we don't recognize it as evil? Yeah, well, in other words, it definitely has to do with the evil in us, with the shadow in us, you know, both the personal shadow and the archetypal shadow. And the paradox is the more we get in touch with our shadow qualities, the more we actually are able to tap into the light within us, you know? And um, yeah, so it's really about, you know, I mean, that's why in my work on Watiko, I openly use the word evil, saying there is no better word to describe, you know, the effects of Watiko. I mean, it is the source and the root of the evil that we play out both individually, where we're maybe self-destructing or acting out our addictive patterns or keeping our lights small, or the evil we enact interpersonally in our relationships where we abuse people we love or whatever, or even like writ large on the world stage, the evil that we're playing out in the greater body politic, all of that is inspired by Watiko and um, by the mind virus, you know, and once again, whose origin is to be found within us, you know. Where did the word Watiko come from? Well, it's an unusual word. Yeah, well, it's a Native American term. It's an indigenous term. Um, the Cree Indians, uh, they have, they use it, Algonquin, Ojibwe, they have different, you know, some call it Windigo or Watiko. It's all just different variations of the same idea. And, you know, when I first came across it and I was studying the Native idea and I recognized, oh, my God, I was having a direct encounter with this through my personal experiences in my family and in the mental health system. I was realizing, my God, it's like there's this malevolent force that gets consolated whenever any of us tap into our light and, and start getting close to being who we are. There seems to be some sort of adversarial force, you know, that that is against us. And and what I've learned is that instead of that being like necessarily solely a bad thing, it's actually a sign that we're actually on the right path. So with my work, like every day, when I write my books, I feel this incredible, you know, this resistance or this darker force that's trying to to stop me. You know, and but I like I'm saying, I've learned to understand, oh, that's instead of it being an expression of, oh, how screwed up I am. No, it's an expression of 
that I'm getting close to something, that I'm tapping something in. So, you know, the Native Americans coined the term Watiko, but I mean, it's in every tradition. And that's what, in my three books on Watiko, I talk about that. In the Bible, in the apocryphal text, they talk about Watiko, they call it the counterfeiting spirit. And um, because they point out, and this is a precise articulation of Watiko, that it has no creativity at all, but it plugs into our creativity and turns it against us. And it um, it's a master impersonator. It puts us on, it fools us. We're putting us on like a suit of clothes. It'll offer us a fictitious, limited identity of who we are. Oh, I'm limited, I'm traumatized. And then if we step into that identity, that it has us, that it can manipulate and can control us. That's why the best sort of antidote or protection for Watiko is to be in touch with who we actually are, with our nature, because then Watiko has no currency over us. It, you know, it, it can't affect us at all when we're in touch with our nature. But think about what I'm describing. Watiko can't steal our soul at all, but it can trick us into giving our soul away. And then What's happened is that we've then identified with its false limited version of ourselves. So we've identified with who we're not, we've forgotten who we actually are, and we've disconnected from our creative agency and outsourced it. And and that's a recipe for madness. And that's in a way, you know, that's Watiko in a nutshell. Is Watiko other or is it part of us? Yeah, well, that's is it a good us question. Or is it other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the way to answer that in in Buddhism, they'll talk about all the levels of reality, and they'll talk about the relative level of reality, and then the absolute level of reality. And the absolute level of reality, the ultimate level, is you know we're all one, and you know there's no separation. There's just one quantum inseparable field of wholeness. And um, so, from that point of view, what the Watiko mind virus is just part of us. There's nothing outside of us. You know, it's all just from the absolute point of view. It's just our own energy. But yet the teachings in Buddhism say the relative and the absolute interpenetrate. You can't think of them as separate. So the relative level of reality where there's, you know, duality and good and evil. Well, from that level of reality, we subjectively, phenomenologically, we experience Watiko as if it's an other. And and so I want to just honor that that's our subjective experience. We experience it as if it's another, and that needs to be honored and 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 you know be in relationship to it in that way. While the paradox is that from another point of view, which is just as true, it's not separate from us. So that's the idea of holding both of of those seeming contradictions, and. Um, you know, and and that just involves, in a sense, holding that incredible creative tension. You know, and it ultimately gets down to who are we? Because when you think about, well, is Watiko other? Is it separate, or is it just us? Well, who are you talking with reference to? You're talking with reference to who you're conceiving yourself to be. Well, who are you in that equation? You know, so the idea is, if you're going to ask, what is the nature of Watiko? Is it other, or is it you? Well, what do you mean by you? Who's the you? Do you mean the fictitious you, the ego? Well, that's 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 just a model for you. That's not who you are, but who's the real you? See, that's that's why this whole Watiko idea really introduces us to who are we in a real way. So we're putting up 
or we're the virus as well. We're putting up the roadblocks of getting to the core of who we are, the truth of who we are. So we're, as you call it, dreaming. We've thrown out the dreams of who, of almost like sabotage, really, you know, of, of um, who we're not. Like you said, um, you know, am I broken? Am I, you know, we go to the negative, we go to the small, we go to the not truly us, not yeah. truly well, at our core. Or well, us. yeah, like I think about, you know, um, the work of, of of Young, who was super switched on to Watiko. I point out this in my book. He didn't have the name for it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he called it a number of different names, but he was aware there was this morbid part of the personality. Freud would call it the death instinct. But it's like this seemingly this malevolent part that has a will to be ill, to quote Jung. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it's, um, you know, so the idea being that we all, in a way, like, so Jung talks about the great illness of our time is a sickness Mm -hmm. of disassociation that the right hand does not know what the left hand is doing. So we're in a dissociated state. And to the extent we're not integrating that disassociation, then all of a sudden the split off part of us, it develops this, like it goes like in a, in a rogue way, it develops a seeming autonomy. And what I'm describing is trauma. We're whole, we get traumatized. We've all been traumatized and we dissociate, we split. If we don't integrate that, that split off part develops this autonomy a seemingly, um, you know, other will and independent life of its own. In psychology speak, this is what's called an autonomous complex. Indigenous people call this a demon. And, um, you know, so that in essence, if we don't work on integrating that, then that autonomous complex constellates as in an adversarial way, where it then inspires this incredible, like, um, self-destruction on ourselves or on others. We act out the destructive energy either on others or ourselves. And that's why I continually go back to the way to deal with that is that to connect with our creative energy, because it's the same energy when we connect with our creative energy that can be expressed constructively. But if we're not doing that, and if we're in the state of disassociation, then that's the self-sabotage. Then we're literally turning and attacking ourselves that's why I call um, one of the things that I call Watiko is an autoimmune disease of the psyche, you know, because it's like the monitoring system of the psyche that's supposed to protect us turns on itself and destroys the very psyche it's supposed to be protecting. And, and to the extent that we're, you know, just in this state of disassociation unconsciously, we're just going to be like colluding with our own demise um, but what Jung says, he goes encoded in that sickness of disassociation is a pregnancy. There is a part of us, a deeper part of us that's being born. And 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 when you begin to see that, but that involves holding that incredible creative tension of those opposites, you know, and out of that, something creative can emerge. Um, yeah, so I can go into that a lot more, but that's in essence the the, the idea. Since um, nature, in nature, nature is survival. Nature is going to survive no matter what. Life is going to go on no matter what. 
why then do we have something, have we created something in us that is looking to destroy us? Yeah, you know, yeah, why, yeah. it's I a guess. very good question, right? Like another way of framing the question is how come we are destroying ourselves? Why are we doing that? Mm -hmm. You know, because clearly we are. I don't know anybody who has open eyes who would debate that idea. And I can answer that. You know, it's very simple, actually. We are destroying ourselves because we don't know how not to. Okay. And if we knew how not to, we wouldn't be destroying ourselves. The point is, is that encoded in the unconscious enactment of our self-destruction, we're actually just like in trauma. If if I'm traumatized, oh, the way I'm trying to heal my trauma actually regenerates and re-traumatizes myself. That's the repetition compulsion. And then I'm now I'm more traumatized. So what do I do? I act out my trauma in a way that just does it again. And it's, uh, you know, this feedback loop that just self-generates and it can destroy me. It can go on the rest of my life. But the point is, is that 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 traumatic, that traumatic reenactment, I'm trying to consciously experience something. I'm trying to discharge something that's locked up in that, that self-destructive feedback loop in the same way encoded, hidden within us collectively destroying ourselves. It's the way we're teaching us how not to do it because we clearly don't know how not to do it or we wouldn't be doing it. The deeper point is, is that encoded in the pathology is the medicine. Encoded in the pathology, in this case, is what he called the mind virus that's at the bottom of us killing ourselves collectively. And I'm pointing out that hidden encoded within it, it's actually teaching us. It's actually revealing to us who we are and our incredible creative power. And, and this is just obvious when you unfold it from the dreaming point of view. You know, like if somebody had a dream and came into my office to work on the dream and the dream was, oh, I was in this dream and there was this pandemic and the whole vaccine and the war in Ukraine and there's all this madness and evil and we're just destroying ourselves, you know, and they would, and so their, their dream is exactly what's happening in the waking dream. And they would say, how do you interpret that? Well, I would go into it with them and I would, I would conclude, well, clearly you're not in touch with your creative power because you're outsourcing it and all the powers that be are using your own creative agency against you. And so the, the message of the dream is for you, the dreamer, to connect with your nature. And, you know, that's such a cliche to connect with your nature. What is your nature? Well, your, our nature, our true nature by its very nature is creative. And the more we connect with our creative nature, the more we embody being creative and the more we express ourselves creatively and the more we embody and express ourselves creatively, the deeper we know our nature. It's a positive feedback loop that creates medicine and creates light upon light. And that's the antidote for Otiko. That's why I again and again point out the profound importance of, of each and every one of us being creative. And when you say creative, do you mean like writing or art or something like that? Or yeah, do you mean that's a only that's a very a different way. That's a very flatland idea of creativity. Of course, writing or drawing or painting or dancing or singing or any of those things are, you know, those are examples of being creative. But I'm pointing out being creative in a wider sense that just every moment by just the way you live your life is creative. The way you wash dishes is creative. That every moment we are conjuring up our experience. There's no one else doing that to us. Whatever's happening in our life, we then interpret it and place meaning on it that creates our experience. And so what I'm saying is to consciously tap in 
to our own creative agency. That's what quantum physics, I, I wrote a whole book about quantum physics and that's what the, you know, I'm pointing out the real deep gift of quantum physics is, is, you know, really it's, it's showing us. And in the new book on dreaming Watiko, I have a huge chapter on quantum physics, pointing out that quantum physics by showing us there's no objective universe separate from that. Your observation is influencing the universe you observe that you're observing, which means that the act of observation is creative. And that's the rabbit hole. Cause when you realize that, you realize, oh my God, you know, I'm, my nature is a creative being. And uh, like one of the ways of saying it is quantum physics has proven, empirically proven, has discovered that this is a collective dream, that we are dreaming up our experience collectively, moment by moment, the way it is. And then we become entranced, thinking it's objective. And we react to it as if it's objective. And then being a dream, it will then manifest giving us evidence as if it's objective. And we hypnotize ourselves. We've actually put ourselves under a spell. See, that's what I'm pointing at, that our species has fallen under a spell. That's the fundamental process that we're enacting in the world. And I'm just trying to point out, oh, yeah, well, if the, it's like a fairy tale. Here's how you can break the spell. See through how we are participating in putting ourselves asleep. There's no one else doing that. We're doing that. How do we stop doing this? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. You you stop doing it when you realize that you're unconsciously colluding with your own victimization. You know, and when you see that, you you realize, oh, I can channel my, you know, creative energy, my my life force in a way that's creative, that's constructive. And particularly when you meet other people who are also having the same realization of, oh, yeah, who we are, are these like, you know, shamans in training or bodhisattvas in training or, you know, I mean, the shaman is the creative artist. They're the storyteller. They're the dreamer. And I point out like, you know, the, I think the biggest chapter in the new book is about shamanism. And I finished it literally right before the lockdown. And I was saying, oh, yeah, our species is going through um this collective death rebirth experience and and i didn't realize how well, you called it a mental breakdown too <laughs> yeah 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 exactly well, yeah, that's what people was, who are yeah. called people who are called to be shamans oftentimes look like they're having a severe mental breakdown you know and um you know that's what happened to me that's i was my first encounter with watiko you know without going into the story i i was having such a direct encounter with this mind virus through the figure of my father and my family and the mental health system. And, you know, it destroyed my entire family. I haven't had a family for over 20 years, but, um, you know, I've more and more had the realization, oh, it was a revelation. Something was being revealed to me. And I'm just in the role of trying to like share what, what I've learned because it's available for all of us. You see the thing about like, how do we stop doing that? It has to do with consciousness. When we actually bring awareness to that, oh my God, we are unwittingly complicit in our own abuse. We are complicit in, in the evil that's playing out in the world and the madness that's playing out in the world to the extent we're not doing our own inner work and realizing, oh wait, this is reflecting something in me, you know, to, to actually see through that process which is to begin to, to connect with our creative power, you know, which is our nature. Um, 
you know, that's really the way that, you know, moment by moment we can choose. Oh, yeah, I don't have to just compulsively offer myself as an instrument to like enact this unconscious thing that's going to be destructive. I actually have more a choice in, you know, creating the world I want to live in. And that's very empowering. So let me give, let me see if I have this straight. So through trauma, it kind of splits us. We kind of split apart. And yet you talk about trauma, not only let's say trauma to me in my lifetime, but inherited trauma, trauma through families, trauma trauma that's brought down through families. Right, right. I Yeah, yeah. I point out in, I think the first chapter of the, of the new book, it's all about like the, you know, ancestral trauma, multi-generational trauma, how, you know, we're all a species in trauma and to the extent that somebody doesn't integrate their own trauma, then they're fated to like enact it on their next of kin as if they're giving a psychic inheritance. That's the ancestral trauma that just gets passed down And then, you know, and that just gets passed through the generations. And this reminds me, in the collective works, Jung talks about that evil regenerates itself over the generations. This is what he means, you know? There's no, like, objective evil. No, to the extent that we haven't healed our trauma, we are then just, like, playing it out on the next of kin, who then, you know, they then become the inheritors of it and the and then to the extent they're not doing their inner work they propagate it on the next generation ad infinitum and that's why you know we are all being called as the current lineage holders of the family tree because we don't exist in isolation you know like in his work young points out no it's way uh, you know more accurate to understand we're just the current blossom on the family tree and there's some sort of unhealed abuse or wounding or trauma in the human family that's been passed down. And, you know, that's why the shaman is equivalent, in my mind, to the wounded healer. You know, when I first learned about the wounded healer, I was like, oh, that's, I can identify with that because I'm so in touch with this incredible wound that I have. But the wounded healer is carrying this incurable wound, but the way they're carrying it, instead of identifying with it or seeing it as a problem, they're carrying it, it's like a portal into their deeper gifts. I mean, that's why the representations in Christianity of Christ in the resurrected body, he always has his wounds in those images. You know, the wounds are in a way the doorway into that resurrected body. And, and you know, there's a way of tapping into that trauma, that woundedness, that unhealed abuse that actually like taps into our creative genius and our creative gifts. And so instead of the normal person just contracts against their woundedness, the the artist, the shaman, the wounded healer, no, they actually turn it into medicine. And that medicine is is their creative expression. Hey, let's take a break right now. And when we come back, let's talk about that medicine. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. One thing's for certain. Life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? 
Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, I'm back with Paul Levy, and we're talking about Wetika, which is the mind virus that has... um, really infected us all. Right before we broke, we were talking about the medicine that we can use against the mind virus with Tico. And you want to talk some more about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. the medicine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. And the medicine is hidden and encoded within the pathogen, within the mind virus. And I just think about, in his work, Jung talks about that as we um, circumambulate, you know, we're like circling around and around the self and getting more and more visible, like going deeper into a spiral. He goes, the more we focus on the self, which is really our wholeness, or think about, you know, the God within is another, it's like the higher self. This is his words. He goes, the more medicine power, you know, becomes conjured up in that self. And, um, You know, because he also says that the thing, the only thing that can truly heal us is what is most ourselves. So that's a very interesting thought form. There's nothing outside of us. You see, when somebody is called to be a shaman and, and, you know, when one would, would never in a million years just consciously choose to be a shaman, you'd have to be out of your mind because the suffering is so overwhelming. It's always something you're called you know, by the spirits and that's, and why that is, yeah, you get traumatized and you split, you dissociate. And then that constellates a deeper calling to like journey and to remember and to retrieve your soul and to integrate it back in your wholeness. And, um, you know, so the idea being when we, and of course that involves, you know, really making a descent into the unconscious, into the underworld, you know, um, that, that the way to, uh, you know, in Kabbalah, they call it the ascent, no, the descent on behalf of the ascent, that the way to ascend is by going down into the darkness, that that's where the jewel, you know, is to be found. And, you know, the idea is, is when somebody's called to be a shaman and a shaman is the creative artist, if they can find another shaman to heal them, great. But, you know, most of the times that's not the case. Most of the times, if that archetype, the shamanic archetype is constellated in the in the unconscious, it's like it's like placing this invitation, giving you uh, this invitation for you to connect with being your own shaman. You know, you have to find that that place in yourself where you can creatively work with and assimilate what's gotten activated. And um, and that's why 
yeah, like it's helpful, incredibly helpful to have different spiritual traditions or teachings, you know, to do practice to, but at a certain point you have to make it your own. You know, you have to really integrate it through your own vehicle, through your own mind, through your own heart and, and bring forth this new iteration. And that's in a way I'm talking out of my own experience because, you know, I was in such deep pain so many years ago from my trauma um, that, you know, would open me up to not just being selective, but if whatever, anything that spoke to healing my suffering, whether it was Christianity or in Judaism or Buddhism or Sufism or quantum physics or alchemy or whatever, it didn't make a difference. I would just honor that little thread from that tradition. And then at a certain point over years, I began to realize I was synthesizing them together in my own unique way. And, and that's when I realized, oh my God, I, I have, I've developed some form of gift that can actually help people. And that's when I started teaching and offering my work. And so that's the idea that, yeah, you want to make use of every tradition and other teachers and lineages and wisdom. And at a certain point, you have to integrate it through your own self. And, and then you embody to whatever degree you're able to that state of healing. And just that itself is a transmission and people's unconscious really feel that there's a certain congruence in what you're saying. And, and that actually is modeling for other people what's available for all of us. So, so let's, everybody's been traumatized. I mean, we've got that part down either yeah, yeah. But in our own life or through generational trauma that's been passed down and we've imprinted with, and we've taken on, um, so in your class, if I come to your class and and something happens and I knee jerk into that trauma, what are some of the tools that I would use to get past that? Yeah, to, yeah. To, well, for that integration. Yeah. Or to get to my my real self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, with that, and you know, and I talk about this in the new book. For example, I'll think about myself. Say I'm sitting in meditation and I'm all good and chill and zen and harmonic and all of a sudden like you know my trauma comes up and at that moment once my trauma comes up i have a choice and i have a choice of interpreting oh well you know my trauma comes up i feel the pain i feel my contraction against the the trauma oh now i have evidence confirming that i really am traumatized so if i interpret it in that way then I've just recreated myself as a traumatized person. And the more I identify as a traumatized person, the more likely it is that I'm going to then dream up evidence confirming my trauma in a self-reinforcing feedback loop that I'm actually conjuring up. I'm participating. I'm colluding with my own traumatization. And that's one option. The other option is in that moment of the trauma coming up in my own process, I can recognize, oh, this is never happening separate from awareness. This is imbued with awareness. This is nothing other than the display my awareness is taking at that moment. And if I recognize that, I don't have to attach a story to it. I don't have to identify with it or contract against it or judge it. All of that in Buddhism, that, that's the clinging. That's the source of the suffering. That's what the Buddha discovered. He discovered he was a, phys a physician who discovered the cure for an illness, and the illness is suffering. And 
you know, I mean, on the one hand, there's good type of suffering where it's a purification from God. The Christian mystics talk about that, but what Buddha was realizing was that, no, when we cling to something, it's like contracting against our light, whether we, oh, let me contract against my light, let me contract against the trauma, oh, let me identify with the trauma, let me judge it, let me dissociate, all of those are forms of clinging, instead of what the Buddha was realizing is that in the moment of trauma that you're experiencing it, it's just a display of your enlightened awareness. And if you can recognize that, then you're not going to like attach to it or cling to it. You can allow it to self-liberate back into the emptiness out of which it arose. And then that manifestation of the trauma has actually helped you to deepen your realization. You see, and that's the alchemy. And that's in essence, that's why I, you know, in other practitioners, we do practice as much as we can to try to really stabilize that realization. So then everything that comes up that could potentially be seen as evidence of how traumatized you are and can deepen and strengthen our trauma actually becomes the opposite, actually helps us to like step out of it and to connect with our true self. Now, keep in mind what I'm describing. This is like advanced practice, but this is available for all of us and we all have to to navigate this. So the most important thing about trauma is recognizing the trauma, recognizing that you're reacting, recognizing that this yeah. is trauma. Well, well, that's one of the most important things is, you know, because there's a world of difference between just like reacting or being triggered where you're just unconsciously doing it and you don't even know you're doing it. And it's just like a normalized thing where there's no that's awareness. That's where I mean that recognition of yeah, yeah, you're yeah. reacting. Because this, is... this beautiful definition of trauma is um, unexperienced experience, right? Because by definition, in the moment of trauma, historically, it's so overwhelming that we can't integrate it in our normal way. We can't symbolize it ex- expressively. And so, um, you know, so then we actually, then that we split. And then that creates potentially the autonomous complex, the demon which becomes against us and, you know, this, this seemingly other will and life of its own. And, and, you know, and that becomes, that is what Tico and that's a complete, that's like the ultimate trauma that we're just, you know, enacting moment by moment, you know, in which when you amplify it, we're killing ourselves. But the idea is, is that in trauma, we're actually trying to consciously experience something we weren't able to experience because trauma is unexperienced experience. So when we first experienced the trauma, we weren't able to consciously experience it. By definition, it was overwhelming. So it's like, well, what is the teleology? What is the symptomology, the pathology of trauma? It is the repetition compulsion. So we're continually recreating it, which is the pathology that's keeping us re-traumatized again and again, but encoded in that acting out, we're actually trying to have a corrective experience to experience it consciously. And by doing that, then we, in a way, take away the energy that's fueling the pathological aspect, and it's actually being freed for to be expressed in a loving, creative, compassionate way. Now, trauma is related very much to addiction. You know, in a way, I talk about this in, in one of my books. And, um, you know, the same thing with addiction. Well, you know, we, we get taken over by whatever the addiction, the substance or the behavior or the perspective, whatever. And then, you know, the way we try to heal from it is just to enact it, which just strengthens it. And it's a, 
a feedback loop that can kill us. And that is Watiko. You see, so people think this Watiko thing is such an abstract idea. And I say, oh, yeah, you think it's abstract? Like, go into your habitual patterns, go into your addictions, go into your trauma, go into your suffering. That, and when you really shed light on the the underlying sort of dynamic of those processes, that's Watiko in, in actual operation. So the need to be present and and aware your whole life, like, you know, your whole day, let's say, because we are so unconscious and automatic in most of our day. We well, that's why, you know, one of the things that Watiko does, it you know, when we, because we all have it in potential, it exists in the collective unconscious. And when we encounter it, it can, you know, it plugs into our creativity, turns our creativity against us and um it can turn us into automatons into robots into just we just become programmed programmed like we're just mm-hmm. like parrots for the algorithm we become brainwashed i see this with people who you know really read the mainstream media and think it's like actually telling the truth and then they're convinced they're in possession of the truth and they become parrots for the algorithm And they don't realize they're actually espousing the very viewpoint that powers that be that are creating all the evil want them to, you know, express. And that's why it's so important because we can potentially become these robotic. And then there's the whole AI thing. And some people even connected with the ET thing. And that's, that's, it's all very interesting, but that's why I point out the profound importance of connecting with one's soul, with one's heart with one's true nature as love and compassion, you know, then all of a sudden that's the elixir for the the mind virus that turns us into robots, like in the Bible. And, and, you know, they'll talk about this mysterious mind blindness that hardens the heart, that makes the heart cold. You know, this is the, I'm talking about having a good heart, a warm heart, a loving heart. That's to be a human being. And and when you're really in touch with that, which in a sense is being in touch with your soul, that is the protection against Watiko compared to just having that closed heart and having all the evidence of how unfair life is and feeling resentful and bitter and having, you know, that closed, cold heart. That is the form of the mind blindness, you know, and this is in one of my books, I, I have all these quotes from the Bible where they're like pointing at that, you know, I mean, how often in the Bible does it say like people have eyes, but don't see, they are shutting their own eyes. There's no one you see what is a form of blindness. It's a psychic blindness, but it's a, a peculiar form of blindness that believes it's sighted. And not only that, it believes it's more sighted than people who actually see. And um, so in a sense, that's the malady that's befallen our species. We ha- We are this deranged species that have fallen blind and don't even know we're blind. And the Bible keeps on saying this. They go, yeah, people have closed their eyes, you know? And the point is, is that it's not out there that's creating our blindness. No, we are creating our own blindness. That's the point. And my whole work is trying to like show people that and to help to show people, oh, look, it's completely within your power to open your eyes and see. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. Is there fear stopping us? Well, the thing is, it's funny you mentioned about fear. Because fear is the superfood for Watiko, you know. And um, so 
you see, the, another way of describing Wachiko, because I can describe it imaginatively from as many angles as I can imagine to try to get across what I'm pointing at. And one essential way of describing Wachiko is that it's, it's a misidentification of who we think we are. It's when we identify with a false version, with a limited ego and with a separate self. Because as soon as I identify with a separate self, then there's others. As soon as there's others, there's fear. And fear then feeds Watiko. But this is where you see quantum physics comes in and offers us the medicine. Because when quantum physics, which again and again has empirically proven that there's no such thing as an objective world, that's a, a nonsensical idea that only exists as an idea in our head, there's no correlate in reality to an objective anything. There's actually no things. Everything is interconnected and interdependent and reciprocally co-arises. Everything, the whole universe, that's the that's what quantum physics has discovered. When you discover there's no objective world, well, what happened to the subject? If I'm a subject, I need an object to be in relationship to in order to be a subject. But if there's no object, there's no objective anything, there's no things, then what happened to me as a subject? You see, the idea of a subject, of the separate self and an objective world reciprocally co-arise and mutually reinforce each other. And, and that's the illusion. It's like an illusion generating an endless illusion ad infinitum. That's Watiko. What I'm pointing out is that when you see there's nothing objective out there, which is what quantum physics is showing us, and you unfold that and you realize, wait a second, who am I? If there's no objective, anything out there, then who's the subject? That's where quantum physics unwittingly has promoted itself to be an actual spiritual path because it can shed light on who we are. And this is what, what some of the greatest of the founding fathers of, of quantum physics were saying, that the ultimate aim of science is to actually shed light on who we are, you know? And quantum physics has unwittingly offered us this. You know, and when we see that we don't exist as a separate self, because the separate self is Watiko. That's why before I came across the name Watiko, I was writing books about it and I was calling it malignant egophrenia, ME disease, me disease, a misidentification of who I who we think we are. Then I came across Watiko and I realized, oh, I like that name better. And um you know, when you see through the illusion of the separate self, you recognize, oh my God, we're all interconnected and interdependent. If I help you, I get as much benefit because ultimately we're not separate. And the energetic expression of that is compassion. And compassion is the Watika dissolver par excellence. Now in the world right now, obviously it's very much duality. It's very much trauma. It's... um. See, we seem to be off the rails and going in the wrong direction. If totally. we're Tika. And is it the pain, the upset that will make us go the other way? Is that what you say when it's within the um within Wutika is our savior? Is that yeah, what you mean? Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the pain, you know, mm -hmm. because I think that's a key thing where we all have an aversion to pain. I know I do. And for years I've spent avoiding it or contracting against it or wanting it to go away. And there's this great um, thinker and a priest, um, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was, you know, during World War II, he's German and he escaped the Nazis 
And then he felt it was his mission to come back to Germany, you know, to tend to be to minister to his people because that was his role. And he got executed by the Nazis a few weeks before the Allies, they liberated Germany. And he was an amazing being. And Bonhoeffer says something like, and this is a paraphrase, but it's pretty close, that a a volunt if we voluntarily choose to experience um, pain, that is death to evil. You know, and I think there is incredible wisdom in that statement where the idea is, yeah, like life is pleasure, pleasure and pain. But if we contract against our pain, then that becomes that develops a momentum, you know, and gets rendered in the unconscious. I see for me whenever I for years, whenever I would get close to this, I would be all aware and mindful And then at a certain point, I would realize, oh, my God, I just lost my awareness. What happened? I just dissociated. And what happened was I was getting in the proximity of my pain and a part of me was out of there. And then but what I've learned is that, oh, as I can like going to the gym and building up a muscle, as I can develop that ability to presence that pain and to be with it and to not identify with it, because that's the danger because that's where people, they jump off bridges if they just get too absorbed in the pain. But but to experience the pain and the, experiencing the pain consciously becomes the doorway to experiencing the part of us that's transcendent to it. That's the self. You know, it's once again, this is another way of describing the alchemy of, of what we're all, you know, sort of being asked to do. And so then pain becomes the in a sense instead of the problem because for years i was in so much pain from my trauma i was committed oh i'm going to do everything i can to get rid of this um this pain and then at a certain point i began to wonder what if it never goes away you know and that's when i began to realize oh what if there's just a different way of carrying it and that's then the image of the wounded healer and um you know because the pain my pain actually is a reflection you know, my personal subjective experience and a reflection of the collective pain, of the pain that is in the field that all of us feel as human beings. And what if me feeling that pain consciously with the intent of, oh, maybe if I can feel this pain, no one else would ever have to feel this. So then all of a sudden I start to embrace my pain and welcome it. Well, all of a sudden, you know, me having that perspective, look at what I'm describing. I'm embracing my experience. I'm being present with what's arising. And, you know, that's like Jung himself says, one of the great illnesses of our time is that we step out of the present moment, is that there's this incredible contraction against being present. Well, what I'm talking about is by embracing that pain and, you know, not falling into identifying with and and all the despair but to like, oh, yeah, there is a part of me that can hold this that's actually transcendent to it and not touched by it. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah, I can allow myself to be like taken over in whatever moment by whatever, you know, energy. And me doing that could potentially be the way to introduce myself to the part of me that you can't take over. That's not possessable. That's all that's already free and whole and awake. You know, I'm just trying to articulate these are all different articulations of the same idea 
that to the extent we have the courage to go into our present moment experience and embrace our present moment experience, that in essence it, it is really kryptonite to Watiko. Mm-hmm. You have a chapter in your book about synchronicity. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, I mean, and there there are certain parts of that chapter that are kind of adding that are a contribution to the whole field of synchronicity of what Jung had pointed out. And what I point out in essence about synchronicity, because think about with one simple way of understanding synchronicity, it's when an inner situation that's going on inside of our mind is being expressed and reflected via something in the outer world, where it's like all of a sudden there's like an opening and you begin to realize, oh, wow, that difference that I've been thinking that there is between the outer and the inner is actually revealing itself to, it's showing me that it's not separate, that they're actually interconnected and um and actually reflections of each other and you know in a synchronistic phenomena the mind itself can become aware of the connection that the mind has with the seemingly outer world and the point is by seeing that our inner condition is being manifested and revealed and expressed through the medium of the outside world that's to recognize the dreamlike nature you know and recognizing the dreamlike nature in other words that we're inhabiting a collectively shared dream that point of view is um is the dissolver for Watiko because Watiko is the the perspective of the separate self of the scientific materialistic point of view which thinks the world exists out there objective and there are things that are separate from us and we're just passively observing trying to understand and when you develop the synchronistic awareness and you discover this universe is a living oracle it's continually reflecting our inner state and and think about what I'm describing. When you're in a night dream, what is the night dream? The night dream that you're having is actually expressing the inner state of the dreamer because it is nothing than a reflection of the inner state of the dreamer. That's what I mean when I say then it can help you to understand the dreamlike nature. And, and understanding the dreamlike nature, and what I mean by that is that, yeah, we are all conjuring up moment by moment, each and every moment, of our lives this universe into materialization but we're doing it unconsciously and when more and more of us actually awaken to the role that we're playing and that we can actually add consciousness to this unconscious process and dream up a world that's in alignment with who we're discovering ourselves to be which is that we're not separate but we're interconnected that's to actually consciously participate in our own evolution and that's what this is all about because Watiko is the greatest catalytic force for human evolution that there's ever been. But if we don't recognize that, then like I've been saying, we're doomed to continue to destroy ourselves. Do you think would do you think we as humans will hit critical mass of recognizing Watiko before we destroy ourselves? Well, that's yet to be seen. It's quantum physics saying this is not a deterministic universe. It's probabilistic. And the best way to predict the future is to create it type of thing. And I guess like, you know, as we are close to closing my, one of my final thoughts, it's like we're having a recurring dream. It's like we've been here before many, many times. And, you know, we've been in a world and we're like on the verge, you know, we're closer to like midnight in the, in the nuclear clock than ever. 
to destroy mm-hmm. our souls with nuclear. That's kind of what I was asking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, with Are the we're going to make it <laughs> with the war in Ukraine is totally insane. The war in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and I can talk a lot more about that. But not and a, right a now, lot but, of our leadership yeah. is totally insane. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. This is not absolutely. normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and but but the point is, is that you know if. You know, either we're gonna, uh, you know, we're supporting Ukraine. Either Ukraine is gonna lose, or if Ukraine, which would be terrible, and if Ukraine wins, then Russia Russia pushes the button and goes nuclear. So it's a lose lose. It's completely insane, and um, it's like we're having a recurring dream. We've been here many many times, and we've blown ourselves up many many times and destroyed ourselves, and then it'll take billions of years to like get to the same place. We're in, in a dream that's no time at all. And then here we are for the like countless, you know, the endless numbers of times we've been at this place. Are we going to destroy ourselves or are we going to actually wake up? And I'm presenting the possibility like this could be the the iteration where enough of us sufficiently awaken so that we can avert all the myriad world catastrophes that we're conjuring up and creating and we can actually like instead of destroying ourselves we can actually like awaken to that oh wow who we are that we're actually interconnected parts of each other and the expression of that is love and compassion and and all of a sudden then we've gotten the message from the recurring dream then we don't have to dream it up again you know and and that's what this is all about Thanks. On that note, we have come to the end. And I want people to make sure they know where to get hold of you and where they can get your books, if you want to share that. Yeah, for sure. So if people are interested in, um, if they want to awaken in the dream, they should just go to awakenindhedream.com. And that's my website. And there's a ton of articles all for free. A lot of interviews just like this all for free it's not monetized i mean yeah people could buy an autographed copy of my book or, or or a book a session but other than that no i'm just wanting to get this information out because it's real medicine for people and um yeah so thank you and can they get it on amazon do they need to yeah they can get any of my books on amazon or hopefully their local bookstore and or on my website if they want an autographed copy and mm-hmm. um yeah, definitely. Okay, great. Thanks so much for being on and, and going through that with us and pointing out the danger. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, we need, it's time, you know, we're at ground zero, seems right, like. Right, totally. So yeah, it's time, I, I yeah. really appreciate the invite. So really, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye-bye now. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.